Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, December the 10th. In this Advent season, we continue to see how God's reign in Christ has come. He still reigns, and his reign is still coming in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist first appears, and we see the baptism of Jesus. Today are these stories that we've heard many times in our lives. And the question is, you know, I've already learned this. But really, every time we dig in, we learn something new. And it reminds me of that scene from the second installment of Lord of the Rings, when King, I believe it's Theoden, is standing there, and the ox and the enemy is coming, and they're about to take off, and it's raining and pouring, and all of a sudden, they start coming, and the king says, so it begins. That's really what I see chapter 3 being. God saw the evil, and he decided to do something about it, so the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back regular guest Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, first of all, happy Advent. Uh, tell me about what's going on this Advent season for you, your family, and the Saints of Good Shepherd. Uh, well, it's, uh, I love the season of Advent, and so does my family. We do the thing where we have the special Advent devotional book and read one of those every night and have an Advent calendar and that kind of thing. And uh, we do Advent midweek services here, and I always love the season of Advent. I love the readings. I love preaching through the season of Advent. So uh, it's one of my favorite times as, as, a, as a pastor doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah. How's your family doing? Doing well. Doing well. Good. Going to school. And uh, everyone, uh, I think, looking forward to, as children always do, looking forward to Christmas and Christmas break. <laughs> and that is, that's a good reminder for all of us. This is the time of year. We can just get a little anxious. My wife is a para in the public schools here in Sartell, and everybody's just a little bit on edge and excited, but yet you don't know what to do with that excitement, and then you have to wait. And I guess this is where Advent comes in, right? Uh, you know, preparing, um, waiting for the Savior. And then today, I mean, what a great text to have during Advent. John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. So it really is a, a good reminder for patience this time of year. Um, and on that note, Pastor, uh, we pray for, can you, can you lift up our time to the Lord and ask for his blessings in prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here to hear your word as we go through this word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, especially as it is a call uh, to repentance, but not only to repentance, but also to forgiveness, something that we recognize we receive from you every Sunday. And we are thankful for that. We ask that it would help us prepare for the season of Advent, for the upcoming season of Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As in every program, if you have any questions concerning the Gospel of Matthew, I've said this before, is that we are starting here in Advent, and we will continue all the way to Easter. So we're going to take our time. Today we're getting through a full chapter, but most of the time we're, we're going to go just 10, maybe 15 verses at a time. 
looking to Christ, seeing the depth of the riches, and of course, knowing that the Holy Spirit will lead us. So if you have any questions about the Gospel of Matthew, since we've been in for a while, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, today we are, you know, we're in a pivotal chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. How do you want to start us off? Maybe some main themes or, or uh, beginning introductory thoughts. Well, I think your, uh, your intro earlier was right, but like, it begins. <laughs> uh, obviously, we, we, we've had uh, the beginning previously with with chapters one and two, but they well. Also, at the end of chapter two, right, you have uh, the, the wise men coming to uh, Jesus, and then the slaughter of the innocents. But Jesus is still at that time a baby or a toddler, right? And then when you get to chapter three, you have uh, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. And John is clearly at this time an adult, and so is Jesus when he shows up later in the chapter. So we've had 25, 30 years go by, but this this just happens anytime you're reading history, but also in the Bible, it happens a couple of times where there's a jump in time, and you just kind of have to catch up. But but as you said, when, when chapter 3 begins, there's not going to be any more jumps from here to the end. It's going to be one thing after another, eventually leading to Holy Week and the crucifixion and resurrection. So this, this is where the rubber meets the road, and it, it's going to be full speed from here on out. And and it really, like I said, that this is perfect for us with John the Baptist and the season of Advent. Now I, I want to start this way and get your thoughts. Is it's kind of strange when we get to Advent, which is preparing for Jesus, Jesus's birth, John the Baptist kind of sneaks in and we're going to talk more about this, but I want to ask you right up in the front, why, why do we have so much John the Baptist before the birth of Christ during the Advent season? Do you have any first thoughts? Right. Yeah. I mean, he's called the forerunner for a reason. He goes first. Uh, That's true. And, and I mean, just, uh, Chronologically, he's first, and obviously people in those days would have known that. John became prominent before Jesus became prominent. And he even, I think it's the Gospel of John, but where he says, I must decrease and he must increase. John knows his position, and he knows Jesus' position, which is something that we'll see even in this chapter. Uh, but, but furthermore, I mean, later on when Jesus talks about him, he talks about the Elijah who was the common prepare the way. And I think it works out perfectly with, with the way the church is designed, because right now you're having readings about John the Baptist. And I think it's just a nod to the fact that it, it wasn't just people back then who had to go through John the Baptist to get to Jesus. We ourselves have to do the same thing. If you're reading the gospel of, well, any of the gospels, if you're reading the gospels, you also have to go through John the Baptist to get to Jesus. It, in that way, John is always the prophet that points keenly to Christ. So whether you were alive 2,000 years ago or whether you're alive today, uh, all of the Gospels have you go through John first. And it's one time I had, a lot of times in, our, in, my, in, in my premarital or uh, new member classes, I start with Matthew and, and you start reading and inevitably, not all the time, but you always have someone that kind of says, I don't get John the Baptist. Why is he in there? And what you just said is is 
Perfect. And I probably need to teach it better because I don't know if I've ever said it quite as clearly as you just did, that he is a forerunner. You have to go through John to get to Jesus. And for good reason, yeah. because John never lets it be about himself. It's always about the one that's still yet to come. Even he even says it a few times, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In case he didn't get it that time, I'm going to say it again. Um, this yep. is the one, and it's not me at all. So I think that's a great forerunner for us. Um, any other highlights you have before we begin? Um, like I said, there, there, there was a skip in time, but this is just one of those things where time is different with God. And also, you recognize in the scriptures that it doesn't tell every little thing. It just tells the things that uh, Matthew thinks are important, or Mark, or John, and ultimately God wants us to know. And so, uh, about those intervening twenty-five years, that that that's not pertinent exactly to us right now. And so, there's a skip. It's hardly even acknowledged. But you go onto this. John chapter 3, reminder to listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, um, and we begin in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 6. And it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we have a, we have a lot of uh, details here, where he was at, uh, what the reference is, and a little bit about John. Where do you want to begin? Well, I think you've got to begin with, with his message, repent. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And this is one thing that we maybe lose uh, if you're a regular churchgoer. If it's just kind of week in, week out kind of stuff, you've heard this. I don't know how many, however many years you've been going to church. Some of us have been hearing that for 70 years. Uh, we kind of, I think, lose the sense of urgency that's clearly there with John. And, and also, I mean, chapter four, Jesus is going to repeat that phrase word for word, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that, that we kind of lose the sense of urgency that, that John is out there and saying, you have to listen now because it's coming. It's almost here. You need to get right now. And so when it, when it says prepare the way of the Lord, John is warning everyone, it's coming. You don't have time to wait. You don't have time to dally. It's now. You need to get right now. And, and the way in which he prepares people is by calling to, them to repentance and forgiveness. I mean, this is when you get into why he was baptizing, it talks about him uh, baptizing, uh, confessing their sins, and, and being forgiven. That uh, there's an urgency to his message. He wants everyone to know it's coming and uh, there's no time to wait. And what, let's do this. Let's go back to real basics. Someone hears that and goes, oh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That can clearly be misunderstood in our culture because we often will hear people say it 
in a way of pointing out other people's sins without saying, well, I need to repent. So when you, when you have repentance, what do you mean by repentance? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we talk about it as confessing our sins. That That's clearly one of the things that John means. I mean, verse six says, they're baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But the other thing, I mean, when you look at what the word means, it means with thought or, or thinking again. Uh, and when you get in the Old Testament, it talks about turning, right? John sees things going in a bad direction. And in the, in the very next verses, he's going to speak to some of the leaders, some of the religious leaders of the people. And he doesn't say, well, you guys are fine because you're religious. No, he calls out to them with the, he actually calls out to them with worse than just repent. But John is pointing out things are not going correctly. You need to think about this again. You need to turn around and you need to confess your sins and go a different direction. This is just one of the things that uh, in anyone who's pointed out to someone that they are lost, if, some, if, if someone pulls you, they see you out in your yard and they ask you, you know, do you know the way to such and such? And if, if they've gone the wrong way, the only way you can accurately talk to them is about you, you are going to need to turn around. And if they just say something like, no, 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 I, I don't need to turn around. You would just look at them like confused and say, well, if you don't turn around, you're not going to get the place you want to go, right? That That's kind of John's attitude of repentance is you need to stop what you are doing now and go another direction. And, and, and again, th- th- this gets at that sense of urgency. Like you need to stop what you are up to. And then like when, when the religious leaders get to him, they will disagree. But <laughs> that's true. I didn't think about that. And, and then he has a little more stronger language when they show up. He does. Um, and he does. So, but, but to go down the right path, you actually need to turn. Right? You, you, exactly. You need to go up back. I like how you said that, too, because often when we when we talk about repentance, we'll we'll talk about turning. And here he does say about making your path straight, meaning you're going in going in a, the right direction. But to use that analogy of if you're going this way and they say, hey, you actually have to go back and turn there. There's a lot in me that says, I don't want to go back. Like, there's got to be another way. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, that's one of Newton's laws of physics, right? An object moving in a direction does not want. Right? That's just inertia. And there is, like you said, there's, there's something in us. There's some inertial force in us that says, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it gets down to this understanding of, cause then I feel like I've wasted my time. So I'd almost rather try to find the straight path in the wrong way than I would to go back. And so he really, yeah. oh, he really hits us between the teeth, doesn't he? Um, of exactly one of our major flaws is that we don't want to confess. We don't want to repent. We just hope there's a, a better way when the, the better way is exactly what he says. Um, so moving forward a little bit is actually just three words. Dr. Gibbs speaks about how a main emphasis in the book of Matthew is this understanding of God's reign and specifically through the word kingdom, kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And so you hear it, it pops out. It pops up. And now that I look at Matthew from beginning to end, it's just like kingdom, 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 kingdom is absolutely everywhere. And here he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How would you describe that to somebody? What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, Dr. Gibbs is a very wise man. And uh, he, he points out that when, when you or I think of kingdom, even though it's a little outdated to think of countries as kingdoms, but if you think of right now there's a queen, right? But uh, the kingdom of England or of Spain or France, th these are all things that are in our history books, but they are static in that they're, they're located a specific place. Uh, and one of the things that Dr. Gibbs gets at is by kingdom here, it means the active reign and rule of God. And that it, our goal is not to go, our, our goal is not to move somewhere to God's kingdom, but actually the, the whole movement of the scriptures is God coming down to us. And this is, this is what John is saying. The Lord is coming and he is the one who rules and reigns and he's coming soon. Mm. So get right. And, and you're right. This is something that goes throughout the gospel of Matthew. Ah, spoiler alert, but the, the gospel is going to end with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? He is the one who is reigning by the end of the gospel. And that's where, that's where the gospel said it. And so we hear this. It's, it's time. I like how you said that. It's not like, okay, now I have to move to Jerusalem in order to be part of this kingdom. No, the kingdom is the Lord coming to us, the word made flesh. This is what we prepare for this Advent season. And so repent, be ready for this, for here it is. And Matthew then moves on. Thank you for that. He moves on and he starts doing what he does throughout this whole book. And it's absolutely beautiful because of how many times I think in our culture, people will say something like, you know, the Bible is this kind of a tangled mess of Nothing is consistent. Nothing comes together, especially those who don't, you know, necessarily read the Bibles, their Bibles is, and here he brings in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verse three saying, okay, this is what John the Baptist said. Guess what? Boom. The Lord had already prepared us for this. And here it is. So any thoughts on Isaiah 40 and the connection to John the Baptist? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that that part of Isaiah is talking about talking about the people going into exile in Babylon and being under someone else's reign and authority. And, and Isaiah eventually cheers them up, or at least pre-cheers them up by saying, you know what, that exile is going to end at some point, and it will be when the Lord comes. And so when, when John the Baptist preaches that way, and, and clearly Matthew understands it this way, as saying that in Christ, uh, the, the other people who have been over us, and not just the Babylonians or the Romans, but clearly one of the things he's going to get at too is the power of Satan and sin and death, that's going to come to an end when the Lord comes. And so for him to quote, quote this, it, it's going to be a way of pointing out that uh, our true exile, our, our true slavery under these higher powers comes to an end when the Lord comes for us. 
So as we look at John, it gives a very, you know, it gives us a great visual of John the Baptist. Tell, tell us about John the Baptist as we see in these verses. John the Baptist looks like and sounds like an Old Testament prophet. I think this mm-hmm. is another thing uh, talking about uh, Isaiah and, and, and some of the prophets of old is that they they were sent usually, not exclusively, but they were sent to Israel to call Israel to repentance. So as you said, I mean, uh, Elijah is a, a prophet at one of the northern kingdom's worst points. Ahab is king. He's a terrible king. And it's pointed this, it's pointed out this way when, when you read through First uh, Kings, right? He, he is a bad ruler. And Elijah comes to proclaim the Lord's truth, e- even at those times. For John to come dressed in a way similar as Elijah and to speak as harshly as he does, kind of like Elijah, must mean things are not going as they should. And for the Jews, uh, especially some of the Pharisees and Sadducees who, who, are, who are going to try and smooth things over and say, listen, it's not that bad, there are other ways. <laughs> John is going to call out to them and say, no, 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 you, you don't understand. God is coming. Things are not going well. And so uh, John looks like, acts like, talks like an Old Testament prophet. And there's so many references to this. Malachi, obviously Isaiah chapter 40, um, of this one to come, and we see the new Elijah is the reference point as well. And so you, this is a beautiful vision of Elijah, um, and now a, a beautiful vision of him. And what's fascinating about it is, here's a guy that is not that impressive. He's definitely not the uh, the artistic rendition of Jesus. You know, the white robes, the the nice sweet, mm-hmm. nice hair, the you know, probably ate vegetables or something. I don't know how you describe Jesus in, in pictures and so forth. But here, we don't have a real impressive vision of John the Baptist. And what's fascinating about it is he draws a crowd. You know, he doesn't he wasn't doesn't seem to be that good looking. Doesn't have a lot of money. He's standing by Jordan River, which wouldn't have been that impressive necessarily behind him. The people came from everywhere. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think there's a sense, too, in which people just recognize things aren't going as they should. And when the leaders try and tell them, no, 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 it's going to be all right, there's a way in which they don't quite buy it. And when someone starts speaking the truth, I mean, the word of the Lord does not return void. Right? He, he, John is speaking the word of the Lord. And lo and behold, even though he's not in Jerusalem, even though he's not in a large city, he, even though he's speaking in the desert, nevertheless, uh, even the desert can be fruitful when it's the word of the Lord working. And so, yeah, it ma- ma- makes reference to people from all over coming out to hear him. This doesn't mean that everyone believes him, but he is a big enough thing that everyone hears him. Now, I have had an interesting question given to me numerous times. It usually comes up in Bible study, and Pastor Adel and I were talking about Bible study before, and what a joy it is to, to lead a Bible study, and, and uh, especially young people who ask you questions you never thought about, and then people, elders in the faith, will ask you questions too that, that challenges you, like, oh my gosh, I never thought about this. But here it is, baptize, so he's, he's baptizing people um, to confess their sins, 
what is this baptism that John the Baptist has? I mean, it's in his name. That's how we name him. He's a baptizer. But this mm-hmm. seems kind of yeah. strange. Jesus isn't even there yet. What tell us about this baptism? Well, it's interesting too because, as we were saying earlier, he's calling Israelites and, and Jews to repentance, which usually they like to think of them as. I mean, not everyone thinks the same way, but clearly one of the things that John is going to fault them for is trying to tell themselves, no, 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 we're children of Abraham, we're fine. Mm-hmm. And John is coming and telling them, no, 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 you need to repent. And eventually he'll just say, don't tell me you're a child of Abraham. God can make children of Abraham out of rock. But uh, he is calling them to repentance. And one of the things at that time that scholars know is that uh, when Gentiles or foreigners would come to the Jewish faith, they were baptized, right? They were washed kind of as a symbolic washing of now being cleansed, right? Instead of being unclean Gentile, they were now going to be clean. And here you have John baptizing Jews, almost as if it didn't matter that they were could trace their descendancy to Abraham, but as if they needed to get right with God because of their very real sin. And so John treats the Jews and the Israelites, same way as he treats foreigners. And this rubs some people the wrong way. But at the same time, many hear his message and repent and are baptized. And so we look at that. It's it's just, uh, you need dichotomy. We need to let it, I just let the words of the Lord speak. I, basically what you're saying is he's baptizing. He's baptizing for, you know, uh, confessing their sins. And we don't want to make too much of a one-to-one connection with the baptisms that baptism that we understand, as you said, at the end of Matthew 28. But right now, the emphasis is you need to repent. And and so it begins, as I said at the beginning of our time. So as we got through these first six verses, Pastor, um, it's almost time for a break. Any last thoughts you have on those first six verses of John or uh, Matthew chapter 3? Well, I mean, uh, other scholars have pointed out, too, that, I mean, as you say, this is kind of the beginning. We'll get to Holy Week as the end. So, so there, there is a sense in which all of the Gospels kind of begin with baptism, and kind of end the Lord's Supper, mm. and those are rather unique bookends. And thanks be to God for that. His gifts are never ending. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 3 with Pastor Scott Adel, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 3 with Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. 
and pastor, as we've gone through the first six verses, it's, it's very simple. We've got John the Baptist and it's in general language, you know, so here, here he is, he's preaching repentance. People are being baptized, people coming from all over the place. And then you're kind of like, well, that's kind of a nice story. But then you kind of have the religious people show up, you know, the, the regulars in the, in the temple, you know, the people who are, who are leading and preachers and all this, and they show up. So you kind of envision this like circuit meeting of pastors, you know, Hey, come have a donut with me, have some coffee with me. Let's go and have a, have, have a worship service together. That's what you'd envision. Right. But it doesn't quite end up that way. So I kind of want, I want to start reading, uh, these verses and to get your thoughts because it does. I'm always fascinated about this transition in chapter verse seven, verse seven. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume, presume to say to yourselves, we are Abraham, as our, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, first of all, Pastor, I don't think at the next time that you host a circuit meeting that you welcome the brothers in the same fashion. Um, but uh, it, it is... Depends on your circuit, right? It, it depends on your circuit, right? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're going to do to us when we show up. But, no, but my what... circuits are great. I would never. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> so as we look at this, John the Baptist is pretty strong. What is he telling these Pharisees and Sadducees? Yeah, no, you're right. He, he is not telling them nice things. And I, I, I mean, it, it's a direct contrast to how they think of themselves and obviously how they're going to think of John. Because the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and remember, these, these are two groups that don't get along very much at all. And by the end of the gospel, the one thing they will get along on is the fact that they don't like Jesus and they want to kill him. But uh, they come up with an understanding, both of them, with an understanding of they're kind of the religious leaders. Now, they have their differences, but they are the religious leaders of the people and when they show up, John says, the root of vipers, right? Kind of descendants of the serpent, which in, if you're thinking biblical terms at all, that's not a good way to address someone. But it, there's also surprise. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John did, did not expect them to show up because they're clearly not on the same page. But it gets at the urgency. Before we talked about him saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. One of the reasons that's such an urgent message, because, as he says here, there is wrath of God coming. And it's coming because of sin. And clearly when John sees the Pharisees and Sadducees, he sees them as leaders uh, who, who are sinners. And this, it, this isn't to mean that he thinks they're uh, beyond help, but he kind of thinks they're nearly beyond help, mm. right? Who, who warned you to flee? Why would you show up here? Uh, but he does say, hey, you know what? 
if you want to be good, bear fruit worthy of repentance, meaning you would have to repent too, and then act like it. And you would have to stop telling yourselves, no, 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 we're good because Abraham is our father. Because God is able to make raise what children of Abraham from these stones. And then he goes into the uh, the urgency again. But right now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. It, there's not time, again, as we were saying earlier, there's not time to dally. You need to get right now. And uh, because he says, God is coming. Every tree which doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Right? The wrath of God, fire is coming. And even though I didn't expect you to show up, you know what? You guys want to bear the fruits of repentance? Great. That's a good point. Yeah. Boy, that's really good because it, the time is now. The time is now uh, for you to repent. And I, I, I do find it just fascinating in verse 9. Where he says, okay, okay, before you say anything else, I know what you're going to say. But we have Abraham. And he's like, listen, as God made all of humanity from dirt, you know, this is where it all started. He can clearly make sons of Abraham, you know, just, just from those stones sitting over there. Listen, this is not what this is about. This is about faith and trust in the Lord, not in your lineage, yeah. you know? And that's something that really, I think it brings us all to our knees. We're like, wait, okay, Correct. it's about faith because we can pull this off where someone tells you, or, and this is easy for John the Baptist too, is, hey, these guys, yeah, they're religious leaders. They're good. You know, we're good, you know? Circuit meeting, all those pastors, they're good. They obviously are serving the Lord, da, da, da. And we totally separate it from the source of everything, which is what Matthew's about. The source of everything is Jesus. And so if we're not trusting in Jesus, then we may as well be those rocks. I mean, there's, there's no, there's nothing to this. And so it's, it yeah, really I mean, brings us all back. Yeah, I mean, there's a way in which you could say, don't, don't tell me you're Lutheran. Don't don't tell me you follow Martin Luther. Right. Martin Luther isn't the Lord, right? You also need to repent. You, you can't point to your lineage or your relatives and say they were good. That may be true. I mean, obviously, Abraham was a saint. But that, that doesn't mean that you are. You need to repent. And, and you can't just say, no, Abraham was good, so we're good. No, that's not how it works. You can't just say Martin Luther was good, so you're good. no. <laughs> You you need to repent, and uh, I, I mean you do just kind of get the, the, just the, the flavor too of if this will be hard to imagine, but imagine a place in which there's a two party system. And, it's a hard to believe. And, is that uh, real? I don't know if that's yeah, real. Right. <laughs> so the Sadducees are very decent. So don't get along on a lot of things, and then John is truly independent of them, and doesn't doesn't think they're good and doesn't think that they're on the same side and he is independent. And there's, there's going to be a lot of pressure throughout the gospel when Jesus comes because Jesus is also independent. And so there's going to be pressure from the Pharisees. There's going to be pressure from the Sadducees about joining up with him. Why don't you act like we do? And he's mm -hmm. just like, because I'm not doing your thing. Right. And, and you can't tell me, you're descended from Abraham, or you can't tell me you're a priest who works at the temple, or you can't tell me you, you, you read at the synagogue. That's, I, I think you're both headed the wrong direction. And as in places with a two-party system, independence gets hammered <laughs> by, by the parties. And John and Jesus are going to get hammered by the Pharisees and Sadducees.
It literally, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. <laughs> and one of the one of the funny and this is hold on to your hold on to your hats, everybody. This is gonna be a TV show quote is from uh from the office when Dwight and and uh and and Jim are mortal enemies, but Pam is is uh Dwight's best friend. And so he has this great quote where he says, you know, Jim is my enemy and Pam is my best friend. And so since he, she married my enemy, then my enemy is my friend. <laughs> it's just this horrible logic. It's a horrible logic. But you see it at play here where the Sadducees and Pharisees do not get along, but they have a common enemy. And that is John the Baptist going out there and saying this. And so all of a sudden the enemies become friends and they're trying to like, okay, how can we gather this up? And he's like, no, both of you are enemies because you're enemy, not of me. But of the Lord, you're not even bearing, you're not bearing fruit with repentance. Correct. You're not doing, and it's not Correct. about faith for you. And so it's just this great um, understanding of even if you gang up with each other, it does not mean that all of a sudden you become the good guy. No, you are the enemy if there is not faith. Now, I want to, I want to go this direction a little bit, Pastor. Is bearing fruit with repentance? Uh, any thoughts on that? Because I, I think there's some connections we can make, but I wanted to hear what your thoughts were. Bearing fruits and repentance, what is he saying? Well, I mean, he, he says in verse 10, every tree which doesn't bear good fruit is cut down in front of the fire. We, we recognize, I mean, this is one of the things we did learn from Luther. <laughs> Not him alone, but <laughs> from true. the scriptures before him. But it, it is the thing that, that, that faith is a living faith. And that faith does produce good works. We're, we're not saved by those, but we do them just because people who believe and trust in the Lord do things in accordance with His will, right? That that's fruit that's fitting with repentance. That's like a tree bearing good fruit because that's what trees do: is they bear fruit. Likewise, if, if we transfer it to us, and we're going to say people do works, that's a true statement. Are they going to be good or bad work? Well, are they done in faith? Are they done in accord with God's will? Then, yeah, they are good work. If they're not done in faith, if they're not done in accord with God's will, then they are bad work, at least in the eyes of God. And so he, he, he is calling them to repentance and good work. That, that is nothing new in the scriptures. That is what the prophets of old said. That's what the uh, disciples, once Jesus sends out the disciples, that's what they say. If you have a faithful pastor at your church, that's what he's saying, too. He, he won't tell you that you're saved by your works, but kind of by definition, doing good works is good, and we should be about doing good work. And you see this fruit, and maybe this is too simplistic, but like you said, and this is perfect about, about repentance, not only turning around, but going back in the right way. Mm -hmm that we see fruit mm -hmm. being bore there, that when somebody is no longer going the wrong direction, guess what? There's going to be bearing fruit that you're going the right way. You see this in our relationships. Yep. You can see this in our um, uh, our work, uh, our health. I mean, go down the whole list. There's, there's fruit that is bore. And obviously, he's speaking about faith that gets bore here. And I think about one more connection is that um, if you're around somebody that never repents when they do wrong, you know, a friend or your spouse or something that you want to keep them at arm's length because they never, they never say they do anything wrong. You know, this is not a never fruitful wrong. relationship at all because clearly you're uh -huh. doing stuff wrong. And so there's fruit that happens in the relationships where you come closer. And that, I think there's a connection there in saying, 
I'm repenting, and that actually brings me closer to the Lord because I realize I'm not the Lord, He is, and it's a it's a fruitful relationship there as well. So I I just see so much because at first you're like, bear fruit of the repentance. That doesn't sound fruitful at all, but when you really think about it, it really is. Any other thoughts you have on that? Yeah, I, I think too that like, like you said, I mean, the scripture gets it this different ways, but it, it also talks about humbling yourself, ah, yeah. or God can humble you. And as you said, even even in our regular relationships in life, you you have to humble yourselves at times and admit that you've been wrong about things. It burns sometimes when you have to admit that, or sometimes you can be self-deprecating and play it off. But but even there, there's a recognition that I'm not always right, and that I've been wrong before, and that I need forgiveness. And that is a way of humbling yourself correctly. And which does help even your regular earthly relationships go better. Well, as we move forward from there, we have, uh, once again, John the Baptist points away from himself. And this is the beauty of it. How easy is it for us? If people start following what we have to say, we start thinking, this is about me. But John the Baptist is totally different. And this is why he's a good one to prepare us for the Lord. Verses 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So clearly, uh, John the Baptist is not, he's no bones about it. He is not the main guy in this. But tell us about the guy that is. Yeah, the one who is mightier than I. He's like, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Uh, and, and his baptism will be even better than mine. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And, and that, then he goes to the winning fork is in his hand. I mean, so as, as we said, the Pharisees and Sadducees come up to John, and, and John is rather fierce to them. But it, it is the same message as you were saying before, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Yeah. And he's telling them too, listen, the one who is mightier than I, the Lord, he is coming. And so you guys need to get right with them. Now, as you, as you keep reading, we said that John was surprised they showed up. As you keep reading the gospel, you find out that, guess what? They don't listen to John. They don't like, they're not baptized by him. This is what, this is one of the things that Jesus will point out in Matthew twenty one, when they when they want to know about his authority, and he says, "Well, let me ask you a question about John first. Was his baptism from heaven or not?" Mm. And as soon as he says that, they know he's got him because other people believe that John was a prophet, but they didn't, and they say, "Listen, if we say it's from heaven, that he's going to ask us, why didn't you line up and get baptized by him?" And I think even if you're on the three-year series, the, the, the reading this coming Sunday is Luke chapter 7. It just says outright that the Pharisees and Sadducees, or Pharisees and lawyers, didn't get baptized by John. But his message is the same message to them. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. The Lord is coming. You need to get right. Because there's only two ways. When the Lord comes, he is going to come with wrath and judgment, as well as, salvation. Which do you want, guys? And we all say, well, we'll, we'll take the salvation part, please. And he says, okay, then <laughs> repent and be baptized. But 
The other option is unquenchable fire and wrath. But if you don't believe him, then you're just like, well, I'm going to take my chances. And John's like, no, no, there, there aren't any other. There's no, there's no third way. There is getting right with God in repentance and baptism, or there's unquenchable fire. There's not sitting on the fence. There's not a neutral zone. There's not, let me think about it over here for a while, because there's not a while. It's coming now. It's at hand. Yeah, there is no mushy middle in this scenario. No. no. And I love the reference in verse 12, because we just studied the book of Ruth, and you talk about the threshing floor. You put all yeah. the all the, the wheat in there, and they go around, and they just push it to the ground, and you have that winnowing fork, and you just lift up what's there, and then what goes away is the chaff. The chaff just blows away into the wind, and what's left is the the grounding of this this wheat that's what you want that's the stuff that sticks around the chaff will disappear and never come back basically and he said don't be that chaff you know don't be that don't be that chaff whatsoever and guess what it's not like i'm not telling you you know this isn't like mm -hmm. why well, didn't know you know this isn't the 10 virgins type of situation and when jesus returns <laughs> it's like i didn't know i know you did know and the problem is that you did not repent oh i want some of that salvation stuff repent well, i don't know about that i I just want to go keep going in this direction, not have to turn around. I mean, it's just, I mean, the uh -huh. visuals here are beautiful, uh, Pastor Adel, yep. that you set us up with. Anything else before we get to Jesus and his baptism? Well, I mean, Jesus is just going to make the connection to baptism that much oh, cleaner. Sweeter. And, oh. and, and also, and also just humility. I mean, John's going to point it out, too, that th this is Jesus doing something he doesn't need to do. But he's going to do it uh, in humiliation and in humbling himself to serve us, to unite with us. So let's go to Jesus' baptism, because this is an important piece. If we don't get Jesus' baptism correctly or to try to understand it, we're not going to understand our own baptisms very well. We're not going to understand the, the life and the work of Christ, even up to the cross. So let's read verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, now Jesus, adult Jesus, comes to the scene, and he wants to get baptized. Explain this to us. The reactions, the back and forth, the, the ending with God's word, this can be confusing. Where do you want to begin? Well, yeah, I, you could just begin with the fact that John's confused. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. John, John, John who, who clearly understands who Jesus is, Right, the one who is mightier than I. He, he says, "I'm not even worthy worthy to carry his shoes." Uh, the Lord shows up, and he insists on being baptized. And as we said earlier, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, forgiveness, confessing sin. And John says, "You don't need any of that. You're you you aren't one who's been going the wrong direction." You don't have any sins to confess. You don't need forgiveness. 
So he's confused. He said, well, hold on here. No, you, you've heard my spiel. You know what this is for. And so uh, I also know that you are an even better baptizer than I am. So I need to be baptized by you. Why, why would you come to me? And Jesus' answer is not, actually, I did sin a while back, and I need to get right. His answer is nothing like that. He, he says, permit it now, right? Allow it now, because this, is, this fulfills all righteousness, right? And so righteousness has to do with doing what God wants us to do and, and being right with God. And Jesus says, this is in line with God's will. But I mean, he, he doesn't doesn't tell John he's wrong that that he actually did sin or anything like that. Rather, he just says that this is fulfilling all righteousness. This is this is what I came to do. I came to put myself not in places that I need to be because I deserve them. Rather, I came to put myself in places where sinners need to go. Right, and I'm going to do that later on in the gospel. He, he say, I, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give it, give my life as a ransom for many. This, this here at the beginning of the gospel shows what Jesus is going to do throughout the rest of his ministry, which is put himself in the place of sinners, put himself where sinners are and where, and ultimately where they need to go uh, when he goes to the cross. But even, even before that in the gospel, he is going to go places where sinners meet, where they eat. Uh, he's going to go places where people are unclean. And he's going to do that. And, and as we said before, the Pharisees and Sadducees just don't, can't comprehend this because they're like, well, if he's such a good guy, why would he be doing thing that, things that sinners need to do? And Jesus just says, well, that's where the, like, doctors need to go to sick people. Otherwise, that's just how this works. That's how people get better, right? Uh, but this is this is a, an initial misunderstanding from John. Although, when Jesus tells him this is fulfilling all righteousness, I'm sure John accepts it and says, "Okay, then, let's baptize you." And I, there, there's a beautiful simplicity to the Gospel of Matthew, where it's you know, like for for example, Joseph. You know, Joseph's going to quietly divorce her, his wife so that she does not go through shame. So he's a man of faith. And, and then, and then just kind of says, and the baby was born and, uh, he took him home and, and they live happily ever after is kind of the, the rhetoric, you know, it's as simple and that's the Christian life. It's just so simple. And here it's like, you need to be saved. All right. What should we do? I'll get baptized. And okay. All right. I can do that. And then <laughs> Jesus is like. I'm, I'm doing this to fulfill our righteousness. What are you going to do? I'm going to get baptized. And all of a sudden Jesus says, yeah, that's my son. I'm, I'm pleased with him. I mean, this is so simple, uh, pastor Adel, mm -hmm. but yet it has everything to do for our lives <laughs> of, of faith. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's so much in front of us. I, the, the beauty of simplicity, do you want to expand that a little bit? Why, why the, 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 the simple gospel is this and why, what's the beauty of that? It's so simple, but it's so wonderful. Well, as you said, the simple beauty is, is John told everyone that the reign of God was coming. And here, you know, 16 verses later, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is fulfilling of all righteousness. This is fully in line with God's plan. 
and it is a plan of salvation. So we talked earlier that the, that the gospel begins kind of with baptism, and it'll end with the Lord's Supper. It begins with annunciation of the kingdom. It'll end with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It begins here with the Trinity. It will end with Jesus saying, you know what, guys, make disciples of all nations by baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are just beautiful bookends, but it, but it is God coming near. This is this is what the angel had told Matthew uh, earlier when it mm-hmm. says that God will be with us. And here you have Jesus with them, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. You have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. At, at the end, uh, you will have uh, Jesus saying, lo, I am with you always. You have Emmanuel coming up again. This is what the story of salvation is. It's not us going there. It's God coming down to us, and in the Son's case, humbling himself for our salvation. In a certain sense, Jesus submits himself to our level, if I can say it that way, Mm -hmm. Um, submits to the will of the Father, because the goal of the Father is salvation for his people. So he submits to that, and then the Father affirms it, by saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It does make me wonder. And, and partly I, I probably shouldn't wonder just because of how we are as humans, but I can't imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees at that point, if they're there, of course, it just says, we don't know the time range that they're sitting there looking at this. And all of a sudden God, the father, the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. How did they argue themselves out of that? You know, how did they, <laughs> how did they not see you know, that, you know? There are a couple times, uh, it, 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 obviously the voice comes at the transfiguration, but there's another one. I think it's in the Gospel of John. That when he's outside Lazarus' tomb or whatever, but he says, glorify, glorify me. And, and, and the Father says, I have glorified you and I will glorify you. And it says that other people heard it and they just kind of pushed it off as, that was some really weird thunder. Wasn't it, guys? Did you guys all hear thunder? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, what else could it be? <laughs> uh, you, you do kind of have, you're right. That they, There are ways in which we can talk ourselves out of uh, the most obvious thing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you have, a, it, it's, a, it's clearly a Trinitarian passage, right? You have oh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have baptism with the the uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down and alighting upon him, it, which does kind of bring to mind all the way back in in Genesis one verse two or one verse three, where it talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters, and and, and that was a time of creation. We also talk about baptism being a time of rebirth or new creation, regeneration, is that uh, when we tie this in with the baptism that that Jesus uh, institutes, you get all of these nice things coming together where we are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. At this point, the the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We also recognize that in our baptism, we we are brought into the family of God, and that we are called children of God. We become brothers of Christ. We, we, through our baptisms, we share in his humility, uh, but especially we share in the 
crucifixion is death, and then Paul will say in Romans 6, well, if you're involved in this death, then certainly you're going to be involved in his resurrection too. And uh, all of that is kind of distinctly into that here in just a few verses from Matthew. And so it begins. Pastor, 30 seconds we have left in our time. How would you summarize this chapter for us today? It's, uh, well, as you said, it, it's the beginning, and, and it is the beginning of God coming down for our salvation. And, and we would, just as they were back then, we would be wise to heed those words, repent, for the kingdom draws nigh. Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 3. Pastor Adel, thank you again for giving us his gifts. Absolutely. Good to be here. Saints of our Lord, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Bear fruit in repentance, and yes, the Lord might call you a brood of viper. But we do this not out of, uh, the Lord guides us through the whole thing. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and he has come. He submitted to our level and won salvation for us. And as Pastor Adel said so well, in Christ, in faith, he says to us, this is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God in his name. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.